me invite you, if you've brought your Bibles with you, or if you've got one there in front of you in the pew, to open up to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We're going to look at some verses there in a couple minutes. Uh, just to, to clarify for those who've been reading through the book and um, maybe studying the book in, in small groups, I had mentioned last week that we jumped over a chapter on a prayer as participation. I think it was chapter 6 or 7. Um, and we're actually going to come back to that in two weeks, the first week of Advent. Um, so this says week 8, but we're actually looking at and preaching on chapter 9 in your, in your books if you're reading Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. As we've been making our way through this, this book and this study about prayer, it might feel a little bit like each week we're kind of upping the degree of difficulty in the form of prayer or the practice of prayer we're inviting you into. Right, we, we started with things that were mostly comforting or encouraging, right? prayers of, of adoration and focusing on God's glory and his goodness, his love for us. Practicing the idea of, of silence and rest in God's presence. In the last several weeks, we've, we've done maybe slightly more difficult things like learning how to regularly make confession part of our prayer life. How to make intercession and, and praying for the needs of our world or praying for those who are lost a part of our prayer life. And those things, again, are, are a little bit more difficult. They take a little bit more, more desire and motivation to practice. And today, we are going to face, I think, what's probably one of the hardest things that each of us will experience at some point in our lifetimes, at some point in our relationship with God, at some point in our prayer life. Right? We, we will pray to God about something critical, maybe something that seems urgent to us, something that matters at, at the core of who we are, and what we feel. And we may seem to only hear back silence from God. We'll ask God for healing. We'll ask God to save a failing marriage. We'll ask God to protect the life of the innocent. We'll ask God that justice would prevail. We'll ask God for any number of things, only to find that after all that asking, our hearts still ache with grief, with longing, wanting to see something change, something be different than it is. And so, so the question we're sort of wrestling with this morning is how do our prayer lives survive the reality of suffering, and what often feels like God's silence in the face of that suffering. One of my, my very first experiences in church ministry was uh, working as an intern with a, a big youth ministry out in Seattle, at a big church there. They had three or 400 kids in the youth program. And my, my supervisor, the pastor who oversaw all of that, that ministry, um, I worked with that summer, and he... He was a great encouragement to me. He taught me a lot about not just kind of the administrative side of leadership and ministry, but, but about what it looked like to really connect with students and help them you know, foster a deep and rich and meaningful faith along the way. 
I actually, uh, when I finished college, I thought seriously about going back and working um, with this friend and, and, and working with the church there in Seattle, but my, my path took me to China for several years. But we, we kept in touch over the years as uh, he was leading this youth ministry and I was working as a teacher in China. We traded emails from time to time. And eventually I, I would listen sometimes to the sermons uh, at this church and, and my friend was preaching one week and I heard it online and I, I learned that their second child had been diagnosed with pediatric cancer. He was two at the time. And I remember him sharing, you know, the, the prognosis and all the treatments that they were pursuing. They had one of the best cancer centers there in the country in, in Seattle. They had a church that literally had thousands of members committed to praying for this one thing every week, for the healing of their son. And I can, I can still remember sending an email after several months of praying and wondering how things were going, only to get a reply back from my friend that that, that week his three-year-old son lost his battle with cancer. And that you could just, in the, in the email, it was, it was raw. Uh, where he was with that. And it, it didn't, it still doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem okay that that happened. Right? You can't, you can't go get a seminary degree and find an answer for something like that. We don't, we don't know what to do with these things. It's not a part of our, our prayer lives that feels comfortable to bring up. But I think, inevitably, it, it faces, it confronts each one of us. Whether it's, it's our own suffering or someone close to us. Right, how do we navigate those things? How do we move forward in our relationship with God through those times? If you've, if you've found yourself there in the past, maybe you're in the middle of something like that right now. I, wanna, I want us to, to think about, I want us to, to try to, to understand what prayer can look like from that place. Right. How do our prayers persist when everything in us wants to give up or feels unheard? Let me, let me pray for us as we invite God's word to speak into that for us. Holy Spirit, you are the breath of life. You renew the face of the earth. Lord, would you breathe into us, especially into places maybe that are fresh and raw in, in, the, in the space of grief, disappointment, or maybe old, old wounds, old questions and, and doubts and struggles that are still unresolved deeper in our hearts. Lord, would you minister to us? Would you be with us, both individually and corporately? Lord, bring us the knowledge of your presence, your purpose, care for us. Help us to know that you hear us, even in those places. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing 
to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may, you may wonder why we're back in 2 Corinthians. We just spent six months going through that book, or five months maybe. Last, last spring as I was getting ready to go on sabbatical, Dom and I were talking about what, what he'd be preaching while I was away, and, and he had been studying the book of 2 Corinthians, and he said, hey, do you mind if I preach through that? And I said, I would love it if you preached through 2 Corinthians. But my, my one hesitation was that I had long wanted to preach particularly on these verses this morning. The opening verses of Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. Because to me, they're some of the most honest, some of the most raw, but yet strangely hope-filled words, I think, in, in all of Scripture. But I, I, don't, I don't think, to my knowledge, I've never preached through this particular passage um, before. And so even though we've already finished our look at 2 Corinthians back in August, I'm going to drop us back in there just, just for today to make a return visit. Because in, in 2 Corinthians 1, we're given one, one of many windows into Paul's inner life and his prayer life. But this one in particular is, is following on a season of intense suffering and despair for Paul. Between the time Paul left his friends in, in Corinth and traveled to Ephesus, there's a span of, of several months, a few years there, something happened to Paul. And, and we know bits and pieces of that from the book of Acts, some of his other letters. But there's a lot we don't know about what happened in these couple years. Whether it was uh, a longer prison sentence that Paul doesn't mention elsewhere, whether it was just the, the constant attacks that he suffered, both in public and in private, whether it was the intense weight and anxiety of, of carrying this ministry for the churches, the conflict between them. Something happened, and, and the result was that it almost broke Paul. Paul almost gave up. He almost threw in the towel. But he, he writes shortly thereafter, back to the Corinthians to, to help them understand what he's been going through, but also how, how he's navigated that with and alongside um, the presence of God in his life. Let me read, uh, starting in verse 3 to verse 7 to start out. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, 
so also you will share in our comfort. Paul makes it, it clear from the very beginning of his letter, these first five or so verses, that following Jesus has not spared him from persistent suffering. You can see he, he enumerates that several different places in these first few verses. Trouble seems to follow Paul as Paul follows Jesus. If, if you have come here this morning looking for a pain-free existence, a kind of, you know, my best life now spirituality, then I would invite you to close your Bibles and walk as far away from Jesus as you can get. Right? There, there is no sense in the New Testament that as we follow Jesus, we will be immune to difficulty, trouble, and suffering. But for, for a guy who, who tells us his life is surrounded by troubles, I also want us to notice how Paul starts this letter in verse 3. Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul confronts the reality of trouble, the reality of suffering, by practicing adoration, by practicing worship, by offering God his gratitude. And I don't think this is just Paul saying what he's supposed to say, Paul putting on a happy face and, and pretending nothing's really the matter. In just a moment, when we look at the next few verses, Paul's going to get pretty raw. Paul is going to let us into some pretty vulnerable and broken places in his own person. But again, he chooses to start this letter with the act of praise. And specifically, what Paul praises God for is the constant, he says, provision of comfort. I jumped ahead here in my slide, but... But look at how often he mentions that word here. Comfort in all our troubles. Comfort that we can share with others. Comfort that he says abounds, overflows through the person of Jesus Christ. The, the root word in Greek is parakaleo. It's actually where we get the, the word paraclete from that sometimes we use to refer to the Holy Spirit as, as the comforter. And it shows up either as a noun or a verb in, in these five verses 11 different times in the Greek. And so I think it's interesting to, to put those things side by side. Paul says he is surrounded by distress, surrounded by trouble. But to even greater a degree, Paul says that when he's surrounded by those things, he's even more surrounded by the comfort. What does, that, what does that mean? How, how could that actually be true, Paul? We probably need to think a little more carefully about what the word comfort means in this context. For, for most of us who live in the 21st century, the word comfort kind of immediately is associated with 
with luxury, with, with comfortable furnishings, with, with physical ease, with the absence of, of strain or difficulty. Right? We will pay top dollar to feel comfortable. Every time you book an airplane flight, you pay a little extra to feel a little more comfortable, right? If you want a, a little more leg room. But if we, if we were to examine Paul's life, I don't think it's possible that Paul could be talking about that kind of comfort here. Because Paul didn't experience that. He had very little of this kind of comfort. Right? We know from his other writings, he spent days washed up in the sea. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. There were times where he had very little financial resources available to him. But that, in, in Greek, actually, that's not what this word means either. It's not, it's not luxury. It's not something that's posh or plush. Comfort here, the word parakaleo, is a synonym for encouragement or exhortation or support. Right? Comfort here means coming to the aid of someone who is vulnerable or is under attack. Coming and, and standing beside them, being present to support. Right? It's, it's less about being pampered. It's more about a relational presence. A presence that, that's always there, but, but becomes especially apparent to us during times of distress. So that Paul can say, whenever our sufferings seem to be piling up, wherever there is trouble, whether it's our own or those we love and care about, God offers to stand beside us in in encouragement, in comfort, in exhortation. He is there to steady us, to sustain us, to supply us with his presence. Paul believes that's who God is. He, he says he is the God of all comfort. It's in God's character to draw closer, if that's possible, closer to us in suffering. He does not step away from us in those times. And as verse 8 and, and following begins to let on, Paul is speaking from his own very recent and very raw personal experience. Look at verses 8 in the first half of verse 9. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. And here he's referring to the area around Ephesus, where he's, where he's been most recently. We don't want you to be uninformed about those troubles we experienced. We were under great pressure, great weight, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. I just told you that I believe in a God who never leaves us alone in suffering. But I also believe there are moments, sometimes long stretches, where it's a fight for us to feel that that's true. 
It's a fight for us to feel the comfort Paul is acknowledging. What Paul himself says, what he felt for some period of, of months, maybe longer than that, maybe a year to two years, was overwhelming pressure, heaviness, and despair. That's what Paul is telling us, quite, quite bluntly, quite honestly. Probably one of the, the greatest New Testament scholars of our time, N.T. Wright, says that when he was translating this passage into English for, for his version of the New Testament, he said he felt like he was reading words written through a filter of darkness and pain. That, that's how raw what, what Paul is, is trying to convey here is. As verse 9 puts it, we, Paul and his companions, we felt we had received sentence of death. And probably that's not just referring to like he was tried in a court and someone said, you know, you, you may be killed for this crime, but, but more the interior experience of Paul. He felt that his whole life, his very own soul, his own spirit was, was under this, this condemnation, this heaviness, this finality of, of grief and death. No life there. Maybe you have felt this way too at some point. Your life was, was throwing up at you more grief, more rejection, more disappointment, more stress, more anxiety than it, than it po felt possible to, to hold up under any longer. I think that's what, what Paul is saying this season was for him. And if, if you have felt that, if you are feeling that, please hear me. But that is no indictment of your faith. If someone says to you, have more faith. I don't think that's, that's always what's going on. I don't think that's an all, always a fair assessment. It may, in fact, be quite to the contrary, that because you are faithful, you continue to walk with God through these very difficult circumstances. Despair is something that very nearly every apostle knew personally. And the prophets before them, read, read the prophetic literature. There's despair and, and, and suffering and complaining in God's presence everywhere. And if that, if that weren't enough for us, to a degree that we cannot fathom or understand, God himself drank from the cup of suffering. God himself experiences this on the cross. This is, this is part of what we navigate as followers of Jesus, because we're following Jesus. I especially appreciated the reflection uh, in our chapter, chapter 9, um, in, a, in a quotation from Parker Palmer. And he wrote, he wrote these words. He said, the deeper our faith, the more doubt we must endure. The deeper our hope, the more prone we are to despair. The deeper our love, the more pain its loss will bring. These are a few of the paradoxes we must hold as human beings. And if we refuse to hold them in hopes of living without doubt, without despair, without pain, 
we will also find ourselves living without hope, faith, and love. And I think what he's saying there is that our, our life of prayer, our relationship with God, doesn't steer us around trouble or suffering. But God insists that he will travel with us through them. If these things are true, if what Parker Palmer says here is true, then it shouldn't surprise us that Paul is both the one who wrote in 1 Corinthians to, to be full of faith, to be full of hope, to be full of love. And then he's the same man writing at the beginning of his next letter to that same group of people that he is struggling with his own doubt, with his own despair, with his own suffering. It shouldn't surprise us then that, that Jesus, the greatest lover of our souls, he himself cried out from the cross, feeling forsaken and alone. Right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? The, the, the net testimony of, of the scriptures is that we worship a God who is well acquainted with grief. We worship a God who himself became a suffering servant. We come to a God whose own wounds provide our healing. Right? This, is, this is a paradox. It's a mystery. It's hard for us to, to understand how that all holds together. But Paul says in verse 9, as he continues... said, but this, right, this trouble, this pressure, this despairing of nearly everything else, this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on our God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. If you read the, the whole of verse 9, right, what I was showed you a moment ago and, and what's up on the screen here now, right, it feels like Paul is expressing two things that, that are almost a contradiction. On the one hand, the beginning of verse 9, Paul acknowledges he has come to the end of himself. There's nothing left inside of him to persevere with. There's nothing left to rely on. Nothing within him left to hope in, right? Paul is, is saying he is as good as dead. I felt I was under the sentence of death. And Paul says he had given up on everything. Accept this, that in Jesus, we worship a God who raises the dead to life. Present tense. Paul doesn't say he's the God who raised the dead to life, though he did that in Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't say, only future tense. Someday God will raise the dead to eternal life. Paul says, present tense, I have come to rely on a God who raises the dead today. To keep us praying, to keep us connected to God through our despair, through our doubt, through our struggle, we have to rely on a God who keeps raising, who continually lifts up into his hands things that feel hopeless, Things that feel like utter disappointments to us. Things that feel inexplainable. We have to trust that God holds these things and is committed to the work of raising up. God is committed to offer his own life for those things. Verse 10 says, God has done this. God will do this. And so on him, we choose to set our hope. Not on our circumstances. On him, we choose to set our hope. Paul will will say elsewhere in his letter to the Ephesian church, God is in Jesus Christ delivering everything, reconciling everything, causing everything in heaven and on earth come into and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on, whether we see it or not. This is what we hold to. It's what we cling to when we would otherwise feel crushed. Right? This is our gospel. Paul says this is what carries him through. It's the way he prays through this season. The last thing I want to notice very briefly here is in verse 11, how he says that through this season of incredible despair and difficulty, he has been helped by the prayers of his brothers and sisters. Paul recognizes the power and the impact of their intercession for him. Right? Their prayers mattered to him. They helped lift him. They helped sustain him. They helped bring him through that period of darkness and pain. And so our our challenge this week, sorry, I'm behind in my slides here. Our challenge this this week is is to have the courage to go this, this place, go to this place in prayer. To practice what what Tyler Staten in his book calls persistent prayer. To invite God into the places where where we have tears and pain and disappointment and a lack of resolution or understanding. And he says that the first step in this practice of prayer is to tell God about those things. To tell God like it is. Believing God can even handle our big emotions, our messy emotions. It's okay to express to God what what doesn't feel good or okay. But he says that as, as we begin to express that in the presence of God, we're also invited to listen for our question. And what he means by that is, is to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand what's underneath our pain. 
What have these things left us wondering about God, about his person, about his character? God, do you care? God, are you listening? God, can I actually rely on you? Can I actually hope in you? What is your question for God? It It might take some time for that to surface. And if you can begin to to name what that question is, then finally invite God to meet you in that question. Like we we just talked about, being a, a paraclete, being one who comes to us, is present with us in our pain, in our suffering, in our confusion. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep looking and waiting for God's answer to you. That's, that's persistent prayer. And may the God who, who suffers with us, has even suffered for us, may the God who stands beside us, may the God who raises dead things to life, may he comfort us with his living presence today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we have, as as Pete has acknowledged today, so much good that we can can give thanks for and practice giving thanks for this week. The gifts of life, the gifts of family and friendship, material blessings. But Lord, there, there are real aches within us as well. And we, we want to believe and trust that, that those two can be part of our prayer life. We can invite you to listen into those things with us. And Jesus, we trust that because you are exactly who you are, that you will not shy away from that, but you will draw closer to us. Pray these things in your name.